Cool. Oscar, good to see you, mate. Welcome. Thank you. Good to see you. Now, I was thinking about this. I mean, here we are. It's 2022. It's good to be in the in the in the flesh again. Uh, F1 testing, and this is huge for you. This is a monumental year because you're officially a test driver. Um, you have no other commitments in 2022 other than being a part of the Alpine team. How does it feel? Yeah, it feels very nice to be finally, uh, you know, officially part of an F1 team with with BWT Alpine. Um, and yeah, looking forward to it. It's uh, obviously quite a different looking year to previously for me um, with, you know, not, not a hell of a lot of driving going on, but mm. uh, nonetheless, there's a lot to learn being reserve driver and, and trying to learn of Fernando and Esteban. So I'm uh, looking forward to it. And so for the layman, what does being the reserve driver for an F1 team mean? Um, so the, the, the main point of the reserve driver is basically the backup driver. So. Uh, if Fernando Esteban are sick or have COVID or can't drive for whatever reason, uh, then I'm the replacement, basically. Um, so in a way, I'm the third driver, I guess. Yeah. Uh, and then I guess outside of that role, my, my other roles is to, to try and help the team as much as I can, uh, obviously, outside of driving. So a lot of time for me will be spent in the simulator back at, back at Enstone. Uh, and if, depending on how the COVID rules play out this year, uh, there's potential to do some race support back at the at the factory uh, and then fly out to the races mm -hmm. uh, But we'll see how that goes um, And yeah, so that's mainly the two areas where yeah, I'm I'm needed for reserve driver You're on standby like never before pretty much It's yes. funny because in not until 2020 did we have the concept on there's always been test and yes. and reserve drivers But it wasn't until the the dramas of who's gonna drive this weekend. Yes. Yeah, yeah, exactly That it actually kind of has more status now doesn't it? I think so, yeah. I mean, I think there's always been reserve drivers around, but um, yeah, like you said, until COVID came around, the, I guess, importance of having them, you know, there immediately mm. on standby hasn't quite been as important. So uh, that's, that's, like I said, with the COVID rules, if they're a bit more relaxed, then, uh, you know, for the European races, I don't necessarily have to be at the circuit. I just have to be in Near Europe life. somewhere mm. uh, so that I can jump on a plane if I'm needed. And then that way I can, can keep working at the factory and, and try and help out as much as I can. 2022 cars look pretty, uh, pretty different. Mm -hmm. They look great, yes. if, if I'm honest as a fan. What do you think of, of the observations across the grid? Yeah, I think they look good. Um, I, the only thing that took a bit of getting used to was the, the front wings being quite a bit higher. I think the Aston was probably the, the first car I saw that also has the highest front wing, I think. So that looked a little bit strange, but uh, now I'm getting used to it. And yeah, the cars look great, uh, obviously very different to the years previous, still very big, um, but no, they look good, I think. What are your observations of just a day and a bit of testing in terms of, is it, is it obviously it's, it's ridiculous to try and assume anything from a couple of days of testing, but does it feel like this is gonna be one of those year, years where we don't really know what's gonna happen? Um, I think so, yeah, obviously, I was quite surprised, I think everybody was quite surprised that um, the reliability of the cars yesterday seemed to be very strong, uh, like we didn't have any red flags for the, the whole session, I think only Alfa Romeo uh, and Haas had a few issues so didn't do too many laps, but um, yeah, a lot of the other teams got you know well into the 100 lap mark, so uh, for a normal test day, or what I'm used to anyway, that, that is a lot of laps. Um, <laughs> so. Yeah, it was interesting to see, obviously, compared to uh, juniors, all the testing that I've done in junior categories, uh, there's, it's much different. You get a lot more sets of tyres, firstly, so you can actually do a lot more running. Uh, and then, obviously, you know, the teams build all their own parts. It's not sort of, these are the parts and try and make the setup quite, uh, good straight away. Mm. It's, it's, you know, firstly, make sure the car's running well. 
uh, and, and nothing's falling off or overheating. And then, and then, yeah, it's getting down to business on identifying what's working well, what's not working well, and, and where they can improve. And again, for the layman, that's a massive thing, isn't it, for the jump up that you've made. F2 champion, congratulations. Um, that's, a, that's a category where the cars are the same and it's on, the onus is on the teams to set up and refine, plus it's all on the driver, right, on the day. Whereas you're coming into a, into a level of sport where everything is unique across every team. Do you notice that? Like, you've spent a bit of time in the garages over the years, but it's a phenomenal difference. This is literally an elite level of motorsport. Yeah, it is a, a massive difference. And I think for me personally, that's where uh, in, in some of the races that I've seen in the past couple of years, being in the garage, um, like Qatar last year, um, that was a massive mindset difference for me uh, because obviously in the junior categories, you've got, like you said, all the cars are the same and all you can do is work with the team to, to change the setup. And even on the setup, you know, there's, there's only a certain amount of things you're allowed to change and then the rest is on the driver. Uh, whereas in F1, obviously, uh, you can make whatever part you want within the rules. So uh, there's much more, I guess, pressure and uh, development on that side of things. Of course, the, the driving is still just as important, but I think when you're in F1, you're expected to know how to drive fast. Um, so that's a, a massive aspect that I'm really looking forward to, to trying to understand and learn from this year because, um, you know, identifying, you know, especially someone like Fernando with so much experience, mm. even Esteban is also getting more experience now. Um, you know, seeing some of the ideas they're coming up with, you know, that's something I've never even had to think about in my junior racing. Yeah. So it's, it's really eye-opening. And so are you witnessing Fernando? Because I think that would be, frankly, across the grid, it would be the most phenomenal. Watch Fernando get out of the car and deliver that feedback. Because that's the critical thing for an engineer, right, is to hear from you, the driver, about how this thing's performing. Exactly. You know, I think the cars have got a lot of sensors on them, especially in, in testing. Mm. Um, but I think a very good saying that I've, I've had from previous engineers is the driver is, is still the best sensor and, and, you know, can feel the most things. Um, so, and obviously he's the one driving the car at the end of the day and he needs to be comfortable, or she needs to be comfortable driving the car. Um, so seeing somebody like Fernando who, you know, has so much capacity, and that's the, the biggest thing I've uh, noticed from especially Fernando is his mm. capacity uh, to think about things outside of driving uh, is, you know, is unbelievable. Um, and, you know, the ideas that he's coming up with are very outside of the box. And, um, you know, for me, it's, that's been really inspiring to sort of look at and, and you know, try and uh, meddle that into my own yeah. mentality. It's a great person to have in the team at this stage of your career. What, uh, what do you expect this year in terms of track time? Do you expect to get much time behind the wheel? Uh, in the, the 2022 cars, probably not so much. Obviously, there's now the, the two FP1s for young drivers. Um, so being a reserve driver, I'd like to think I'm first in line for those. Um, but we're also putting together an extensive testing program in, in last year's car. Okay. Um, so I actually did a test day in Paul Ricard um, not that long ago, just a few days ago, actually. Given uh, the rules have changed so much, what does that do? How does that help? Uh, well, I mean, for me personally, because I'm not racing in anything else this year, those, those test days in, in the previous car are almost the only driving I'll do for the whole year. Yeah. So uh, for me, that's you know, another real chance for me to further try and prove myself to the team uh, and also keep developing myself because you know, any day in an F1 car is firstly always awesome and secondly, <laughs> always, you, know, you always learn a lot. So um, I think there's a lot of F1 specific things um, that you know, you can only kind of learn experience from actually driving an F1 mm. car. So th 
those test days for me are really important, uh, regardless of, of, you know, obviously the rule set for that year is, for last year was very different. Um, but, you know, there's still a lot of things that are carried over for this year. Because an F2 car to a layman might look like a similar to a, to a Formula 1 car, but acceleration, braking, speed through turns, that's ridiculously different. And that's what you need to adjust your, your body, your reactions. That's why that feeling is important. Yeah, exactly. The, you know, the, the step from F2 to F1 is, is enormous. Uh, like you said, they, they look quite similar, but they, they definitely don't feel very similar. So, um, you know, I think a, a good way of comparing is the jump from F3 to F2 is, is maybe four or five seconds, depending on the track. And certainly for last year's cars, the jump from F2 to F1 was sometimes, was, it was always well and truly over 10 seconds. So it's, wow. it's a really big jump. Um, but also, you know, in F2, we basically have, we have quite a few buttons on the steering wheel, but in terms of physically changing the car, <laughs> we, we can only really use the, the brake bias. Um, whereas in F1 car, there's all sorts of tools you've got on the steering wheel. I'm sure, you know, people that, that watch have seen all sorts of things flashing yes. up on the dash and the drivers using their hands a lot on the wheel. Um, you know, there's none of that in F2 and that takes quite a bit of getting used to. And it's a really powerful, they're really powerful tools to, to yeah. determine the balance of the car too. Monumental year, as I said at the start. Just reflect for a bit, how do we get here? Like, how did 20-year-old Oscar Piastri become this reserve driver for, for a Formula One team? Um, well, a lot of hard work um, and you know, quite a lot of sacrifice as well. Um, but yeah, I think just working hard and um, you know, I think that's the, the biggest one and always trying to, to learn as much as I can. I think. You know, for me, throughout my career, uh, when I first moved to Europe, especially, it was a bit of a shock to the system, uh, and you know, both culturally and in terms of the, I guess, professionalism at the track, um, and all the the tools available to you in terms of uh, data analysis and mm. stuff like that. That was a massive step up that I got my head twisted in a little bit at the beginning. Um, so I guess learning from obviously the good experiences and and also very much the bad experiences. Um, is yeah, how I've developed myself as much as I can and obviously the last three years have been, been very successful and um, across different categories so I've really had to keep, keep on the ball and, and keep pushing myself and adapting to these new cars um, and yeah, it's, it's clearly put me in good stead to end up where I am now. What's the sacrifice from your family like to get you to this point? Uh, it's, it's a massive sacrifice, um, you know, obviously being from Australia it it probably makes it a little bit more difficult because uh, unfortunately you can't become an F1 driver by, by staying in Australia. Mm. Um, so, you know, I left home when I was 14, um, which, you know, my mum... Uh, For I'm anyone else, that sounds like a really sad story. You left home when you were 14. There's some other exactly. story we all need to know, but that's your family supported you yes. leaving the country at 14 years old. Exactly. And, you know, for of course, for my mum, that was, you know, I think for any mum seeing their, especially their firstborn child leaving You're home a at 14. You're a 15-year-old, I can't imagine him not being at home at night. Exactly. Um, and, and seeing them leave at 14 and, and not coming back. I think that first trip I was away for six or seven months. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's not easy. Um, and, you know, I think across the, I think this is my sixth year over in Europe now, living in Europe. Uh, and I've probably spent six months of those six years actually in Australia. So. Yeah. Um, it's a, a massive sacrifice um, and obviously it's, it's not financially cheap either. It's mm. a massive financial uh, contribution from my family as well to, to you know, support my dream. And I'm lucky enough now to say that it's a goal, not a dream. Um, yeah. So 
yeah, it's, I'm glad that it's worked off, but it paid off, but it, yeah, it was certainly a massive sacrifice. So what puzzle pieces need to fall into place now for the next real step, which is seeing your name on the grid as an F1 driver? Uh, I think obviously timing is the, the biggest one now. Uh, I feel like I've achieved everything that I can uh, in, in junior categories. Um, but this year is another good opportunity to, to try and keep proving myself with this testing program, uh, be in, as involved as I can with the team, uh, whether that's you know, at the track, learning as much as I can or being in the sim and trying to you know, make the car faster for them. Mm. Um, but yeah, timing is really the, the final piece, I guess, mm. um, for, for this puzzle. And yeah, only time will tell uh, how, how that unfolds. Because it's all only good to say Fernando's getting old, but if he loves this year, if he loves this car, he's not going anywhere. And Esteban's proven himself to be a great driver. So this timing thing's a real challenge for Formula One, isn't it? We've had such such great kind of sliding door moments with many drivers over the years where, you know, you, you literally require something to happen essentially for you. It's essentially all about out of your control now, isn't it? Exactly. And I think that's, you know, something that uh, I've really had to focus on a lot throughout my career, uh, mainly on track, but also now, especially off track, is controlling the things that are in your control. Uh, motorsport is notorious for having a lot of things that are out of your control, and unfortunately, that timing is, is one of them. So, um, yeah, for me, it's about staying patient uh, and, yeah, seeing how the rest of the driver market unfolds, really, um, because, yeah, like I said, I've I don't have any more junior single-seaters to race in. Um, so, you know, I think my results are, are on the board now and they can't be taken away. And, and now it's, yeah, about seeing how the pieces unfold. Uh, looking forward to next year. Have you had much face time with the new boss? Uh, with which new boss? With, uh, so my first meeting with Otmar actually was uh, in a pizza shop in Oxford. Um, <laughs> so it was just by coincidence and yes. Yeah, so coincidence because you both happen to be getting pizza at the same shop or? Yes, correct. Um, well, I, because Aston Martin is obviously based uh, at Silverstone. So yeah. uh, it turns out we both live in the same area um, and yeah, walked into the pizza shop at the same time and uh, yeah, said, I'm Oscar. And at that point he, he obviously hadn't been announced yet and uh, attested his, uh, his, <laughs> uh, I'm not going to say trust, but uh, he kept it very tight-lipped. Yeah, uh, so, yes, first first test for Otmar passed. Um, but no, yeah, so it was nice to meet him there and met him again at the launch. Um, and, yeah, obviously he's, he's not at the at the circuit at the moment um, working trackside. But, um, so, yeah, that's my first meeting with Otmar. Because it's really, again, a relationship game, isn't it? You know, you've got some good support with Anne and Mark. Um, they've got to play that game behind the scenes. You just got to focus essentially on yourself this year, uh, or do you need to play some of the politics to, you know, meet the right people to make next year happen for you? Um, I'm not particularly interested in, in playing with the politics, to be honest. I'm very much a believer in, you know, proving everything on track, and I yeah. think I've done a good job of that so far. Uh, obviously, you know, uh, it's, it's always important to have good relationships, mm. um, you know, Firstly, with, with, of course, all the senior people in the team, but, uh, you know, next it's the engineers because obviously they're trying to make the car faster for you and, and also the mechanics uh, who are building the car for you and making sure it doesn't fall apart. Obviously, you know, we wouldn't be going around the track without them and, and you know, everybody else that works behind the scenes. Got James here on the marketing side making sure I'm getting my exposure. Um, so, you know, there's, there's all sorts of people in the team that are incredibly important and relationships with all of them are, are key. What... Um 
what do you do to keep the sensors alive? Obviously, you mentioned some, you know, using last year's car and there's some testing, but that's still very limited. How do you keep, because sensors reactions, you know, being mm. an F1 driver, that's, you know, critical. How do you keep those going in, uh, in 2022? Um, it, it is quite difficult, um, especially staying, I guess, uh, physically race fit and getting used to the, the G-forces. Um, you know, it's very, very difficult, especially for your neck. F1 is such a unique sport in that sense that, you know, you use a lot of muscles that you wouldn't normally use, uh, such as your neck, which mm. I'm, I'm discovering. Um, so yeah, training that for me is, is probably the biggest focus, I suppose. Um, Am I right in saying you, if your trainer is now formerly Roman, Roman's yes, trainer? Yes, yeah, Kim Keedle. So another fellow Aussie. Uh, so I've got a nice little Aussie uh, yeah. band together. Um, but yeah, he was with, with Grosjean for the last few years. So we're working hard on, on making sure I'm, I'm ready for, for this year, mainly in case I, I get the call up at you know, yeah. an hour's notice. Um, so I have to be ready now. Um, but yeah, in terms of you know, keeping my reactions fit and stuff like that, the simulator is is so accurate these days that you know it, it really is almost like driving a real car without obviously the fear factor uh, of, of of crashing and doing a lot of damage mm. to both the car and yourself um, so that is a really good way of, of keeping sharp uh, in terms of driving in some sense but yes staying physically sharp is is quite a challenge without you know obviously driving physically so mm. uh, trying to be fit in the gym and diligent in the gym especially when there's not much racing going on is is uh, very important. You mentioned letting your results um, speak for themselves on track. Off track, um, Autosport Rookie of the Year twice, and I think it's only Lewis and, and Charles that have done that. And a lot of previous winners of that awards have gone on to be world champion. Is that an expectation that you have within yourself now? Or do you not worry about those things? Because it's a massive thing to have, you know, hanging around your neck in a good way. Yeah, and to be honest, I think a lot of those awards I've had off the track are to do with what I've done on the track. So uh, I think it's still all very much related to that. Um, but yeah, obviously having these awards is, is great for me. Uh, you know, it's, it's always an honor to receive any kind of yeah. accolade um, and, and to have them on my CV is obviously great. Um, but for me, I think the, the, the first immediate goal and it's still cool saying that this is a goal, but to, to get into F1 yeah. full stop is, is the first goal. And then, um, yeah, obviously I think every racing driver dreams of being F1 world champion and, and so do I. Yeah. Um, but I'm also very conscious that there's a lot of other factors into, that contribute to being uh, successful in F1. You know, mm. obviously the cars, you know, I think it's both a blessing and a curse that they're so different and so unique um, that, you know, that you've got so many different solutions that sometimes end up at the same speed unfortunately sometimes they don't yeah. and you know being in the right place at the right time is uh, a very key part of that so um yeah for me the first goal is getting to f1 and then doing as best as i can once i did get did you there. ever challenge yourself or, or worry that you were actually getting too old i mean there's a lot of talk about max being so young you're only 20 age is definitely on your side i think lewis was 22 when he started so mm. age is definitely on your side what's your goal 10 years push push forward 10 years where you're uh, you're 30 years old what have you achieved in F1? That is a very good question. I think, like I said, the first goal is obviously to get on the grid firstly. Um, but yeah, I, you know, I hope by that point that uh, I can prove what I can do on track and, and prove to be a valuable asset and, and get myself into you know, a championship winning spot. Uh, and in 10 years time, I would like to be very successful in F1. Obviously, uh, being world champion would be amazing. 
not sure I would say it's a goal just yet, but okay. um, it's certainly, you know, I'm certainly not going to say no to big world champions. So, um, yeah, we'll see how it unfolds. But, um, yeah, I think taking it a step at a time, I know it's quite cliche, but that no. is quite literally how you have to look at it and focus on one step at a time and, and you know, take the right opportunities when they arise. Because I think that, you know, the world championship, everyone talks about it, I've asked Daniel about it, it's, it feels like the only thing, but I also see the absolute joy that comes from podiums, let yes. alone race wins. So is it true to say that if you look back in 10 years, so if in 10 years you've got, you know, a, a good handful or a couple of handfuls of race wins and, you know, many more podiums, is that a successful career? Because, you know, I feel like the world championship shouldn't be the defining measure of a Formula One career. No, I agree. Um, I think, you know, obviously, when you look back in history, of course, the world champions are the, the first ones that get recognised. But people also remember people who haven't finished with podiums as well. That is true. That is you know, very Hulk true. Is probably the most obvious example. People would always talk about that, you know. Yes. And I think that that's why those numbers are just as important. So, you know, I guess is there a? And again, you talk about goals, but how long does it? How long's too long before you get a race win in Formula One? Let's assume you get into Formula One super quick. Yeah. Um, how long's too long? I really don't know and I think it, it's so circumstantial that it's yeah. impossible to put a number on those kind of things. Obviously, you know, there's, uh, you know, if you're in a top team and it's no different to being in junior, junior form, mm. formulas, um, you know, in F2, for example, I was disappointed if we'd finished fourth. But of course, if you're in a team where you're finishing 10th most of the time, finishing fourth is, you know, an amazing result. And, you know, that's no different in F1. I was in Qatar when Fernando got his, his comeback podium last year and, you know, seeing the, the scenes within the team was uh, incredible. And, yeah. and, you know, so it's very circumstantial and, and of course, depends on, on where you are uh, normally in the pecking order. Um, so, yeah, like you said, it's definitely not just defined by world championships. And I think um, if you can, you know, I guess outperform the, the car that you're in, that's, you know, I think George Russell has been a, a very fine mm. example of that in previous in years previous, mm. um, you know, constantly getting the most out of that Williams and of course Spa, a uh, bit controversial, but he, he got a podium at the end of the day. Yeah. And, um, you know, and even without that, he, he qualified second, he out-qualified everyone except Max in, in a Williams, which, you know, is an unbelievable result. Um, so, you know, it's very circumstantial and, and those standout performances can, can really uh, make a successful career as well. Now, sliding doors and moments in time, Jack Dewan's joined the Alpine Junior Academy. You've obviously left the academy and come into the team. Have you, have you had a vision of an all-Aussie driver lineup? I mean, that would, my goodness, have you even given that some thought? No, not particularly, but it, it would be very cool. I agree. Um, you know, I think it's great to see Australian motorsport in, in such good hands um, in, in Europe at the moment, obviously. I think a few years ago we had really quite a lot of Aussies. I think we had seven or eight of us across mm. various categories, um, and and obviously now you know it's it's very difficult from Australia still, and of course those numbers ebb and flow a bit. Um, but you know obviously having Daniel in in F1, mm. uh, myself as reserve driver and, and knocking on the door, and, and now Jack in F2. Um, you know I think I think I was the first Australian for a long time, if not ever, to to be in F2, uh, and now we've had two in consecutive years. So. Mm. Um, yeah, it's, it's very cool for Australia and Australian motorsport. Um, and yeah, it would be pretty cool to see two or even three Aussies on the grid. You mentioned Daniel, obviously he's, you know, in, in the pinnacle, he's up there. He's got a race win, even in his most recent team. 
Uh, what have you seen or learnt from him? Is he the kind of guy that you're able to you know, get advice from, even though he's a busy guy with his own world to, to look at? Um, I haven't really spoken to him much, to be honest. And, um, you know, I think it's kind of a bit weird if you just go straight into meeting someone and, yeah. and discussing. Yeah. Tell you know, me everything I need of, to know. <laughs> exactly. And, you know, I'm, I'm well aware myself now as a racing driver that he talks about racing and all that stuff with, with all kinds of media 24-7. So, yeah. you know, I wasn't going to pick his brains about everything uh, in the few, the few times I have spoken to him. But, um, even, you know, even... If, you know, if you had said five years ago, or especially well, not ten years ago, because he wasn't in F1, but five years ago, um, you know, that I'd even have the chance to speak to Daniel Ricciardo, yeah. that you know, I'd be pretty stoked to do that. And now, uh, saying that I can speak to him quite a lot, and saying that I have his phone number, that's pretty damn yeah, cool. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's I'm sure if I make it on the grid and and spend some more time with him in the same paddock, then. Uh, you know, we'll speak a bit more, but um, it's a very busy world in F1 as I'm finding out this week. Let's talk about Melbourne. Uh, will you be in Melbourne for the for the Grand Prix? Because you need to be there ready, right? Yes, you I can't will. just hop on a flight from Europe in one hour. Exactly, I will be in Melbourne. Yes. And so, uh, I mean, that's one of the places, and you don't need to speak to Daniel about this. You're surrounded by people who've worked with Daniel. Mm-hmm. The pressure that Australia puts on Australians in Melbourne is immense. Do you think that's going to be a problem for you even this year? Um, I, I don't think time-wise. I don't think this. Year, I think it will be very busy time-wise, but in terms of pressure, obviously, I, I guess in some ways that's uh, a, a, an unintentional positive of this year is I can have all these experiences mm. like going back to Melbourne without the pressure of having to go out and, and perform or. You know, I'm not expecting. So you can to. have a busy schedule and not let it impact on your qualifying session because you don't have one. Exactly, and you know, of course, uh, to be a successful F1 driver, you have to learn to deal with that pressure. But to have all of these experiences this year um, without that pressure of going out and driving, or you know, uh, unless it's unexpected, um, without that pressure, you know, I think for hopefully when I join the grid. You know, I've seen all of this before. I've experienced it for a year, probably not to quite the same magnitude. Mm. Um, but, you know, even just visiting some of the countries and getting used to the jet lag, it's the simple things like that mm. that this year I can really capitalise on without the pressure of having to drive and, and perform week in, week out. So I don't think this year there'll be that much pressure in Melbourne. I think it'll be a pretty crazy experience, but uh, I'm looking forward to it more than anything. Um, and, you know, I think in terms of Aussies putting pressure on, on Australian drivers, you know, we only get one event for the year. Um, and, you know, as Aussies, we love our sport and get behind our, our home heroes. So I think it's a great thing rather than, you know, sort of a, a negative pressure. It's, you know, eagerness to do well, but I'm sure that's the same everywhere. And having the support of the Aussies is, is always great. Is it weird to have just random people tweeting you and, and, you know, having that actual fan base, does that, does that come as a surprise or does it grow with you on the journey? It's definitely grown with me on the journey. Um, but yeah, even, you know, I've had some very unexpected uh, fan appearances, whether it's been walking through shopping centres in, in England of all places or, you know, going back to Australia when I was there. Uh, it's, it's, yeah, been pretty, pretty cool to you know, have people appreciating what I'm doing and, and recognising what I'm doing. Um, so, yeah, for now, I'm, I'm loving it. And, um, yeah, it, it is a bit strange that I'm getting used to it, but no. Who keeps Oscar Piastri grounded? Because 
I think as an outsider, you see different forms of celebrity, uh, fame, whatever you want to call it, and, and that's what's coming. You know, you, you've got a definite level of celebrity and fame just in Australia, let alone the F1 community. But there, you know, we as Aussies know that we, whether it's tall poppy or whether it's just, you know, someone's full of themselves, it, you know, sometimes it doesn't come across well. Who's going to keep you grounded through this journey? I think generally I do a pretty good job of that myself. Um, so hopefully Oscar Piastri is going to keep Oscar Piastri grounded. Um, but, you know, obviously I've got my, my friends and family. Uh, I've also got Mark and, and Anne as my management. Obviously Mark's experienced, uh, you know, hopefully everything I'm going to go through, everything I, I want to go through. Um, so, you know, he's, he, he'll be keeping, you know, a very keen eye. I, I don't think he will have to, you know, keep <laughs> me in line, but, um, you know. But you're ready for that. Exactly. You're ready for someone to say, mate, don't, yes. don't get so full of yourself. Exactly. And, you know, I'm, I'm really not expecting that of myself. I'd be quite disappointed in myself if it comes to that point. But, um, yeah, you know, I have that support group there for not just that, but for all sorts of other things related to, mm. to being an F1 driver. And, uh, you know, I've got uh, a girlfriend in the UK who, you know, is, uh, you know, very much in a normal life, uh, if you want to consider yeah. F1 unusual. <laughs> um, so, you know, I spend plenty of time with her and, and you know, even just doing the simple things of, of you know, everyday life. What have you been watching on Netflix? What have I been watching on Netflix? <laughs> uh, I, well, the last documentary I watched was something about 9-11, uh, but I'm keen to watch The Tinder Swindler. I haven't watched that yet, but I've yeah. heard, obviously, quite uh, extraordinary things about so it. Doesn't, it doesn't appeal to me at all, but it's, yes. it's your generation. I so think. yeah, I, I don't watch that much Netflix, actually. So um, yeah, I don't know, but yeah, I'm sure there'll be plenty of things to, to keep me busy and keep me on the ground. All right, Alpine, BWT Alpine is obviously going to be the most successful team of the year because that's what you're going to tell me if I ask you. So who's, who's second, third and fourth behind Alpine in, uh, in 2022 uh, at your current guesstimate? Um, Just looking at the cars and you know, yeah. what you've seen because there's clear innovation in the teams and hopefully there's going to be some shocks. What, what do you predict? Um, I mean, it's very hard to tell, but I think you know, the usual big teams, the usual suspects are going to be somewhere near the front. Um, you know, I, obviously in 2009, which was probably the last uh, rule change that was, was close to this big, uh, obviously Braun came out of nowhere with their uh, very clever interpretation of the rules and, and blew the competition away for the first half of the year. So who knows, we could see a similar story, um, but yeah, if I was to take any guess, I would say the usual teams will, will probably still be somewhere near the front. Um, but of course, it'll be interesting to see how much development uh, everyone else has done uh, you know, in, in previous years, especially last year, obviously Mercedes and Red Bull very uh, caught up in the 2021 mm. title battle and, and obviously for Red Bull, the, the best chance they've had of winning a title uh, since, uh, you know, before the hybrid era. So it'll be interesting to see if, if that kind of impact has, has impacted them at all. Um, but yeah, I guess we'll find out at the first qualifying session in Bahrain. Good luck with the circus that is Formula One in 2022, and uh, we look forward to seeing you in Melbourne. Thank you very much. Cheers, Trevor.